Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. This is the first and probably the only podcast episode I'll be doing from Dubai. Just looking out of the window now and I can see through the gap in the two apartments, the very corner of the Palm Tree Island, which is the man-made island right on the coast here in Dubai. So I'll be soaking everything in while chatting away in this podcast episode. And I'm going to begin actually with a, a question that I just saw popping up on Instagram. And of course, if anyone would like to follow, please do go and follow the Freedom Machines Instagram page and also the Freedom Machines Facebook page. I'll include all of the links in the description of this podcast episode. Get in touch there. Also get in touch on... Put the email address. I think it's what was it again? Hi at thefreedommachines.com. So you can get in touch in any of those places. All of the details in the description. I begin with this one. I found this really interesting. This is from Jonas in Germany. Hi, Freddie. I'm a 20 year old and I'm in the incredibly luxurious situation of driving or of riding a Harley 883 iron. The feeling you get sitting on such a badass looking bike is like nothing else. Over the last year, I mainly drove short distances up to 60 kilometers, but I really wanted to make some multiple day trips with a tent, which is not possible on my current bike. Since the joy of riding for me is strongly attached to the feeling of looking cool on your bike, it's hard to trade it against something more practical, like a Triumph Speed Twin, even though it's a nice bike or a nice bike to look at. What's your advice? Oh, Jonas, this is just a fantastic question because biking, biking is cool, full stop. And cool in everyone's mind is different. For some people, the the Conor McGregor look, for example, on a BMW GS is the kind of look and also the kind of riding they want to do. For others, it's Harley Davidson. For others, it's the modern classics like the Triumphs and Royal Enfields. But Jonas, I can tell you are a big Harley guy. Uh, and if you were to move away from the kind of bikes that you really love, which are clearly Harley-Davidson's, and you move, for example, to a Triumph Speed Twin. Well, I can tell already here, just reading that, you don't really like the Triumph Speed Twin. And biking is all about the passion and the style and the way it makes you feel. And if you're going to go out, get rid of your Harley-Davidson and buy a bike that isn't really you. It doesn't really make you feel the way you want biking to make you feel. When I, I would say then immediately, forget it. Forget all about the triumph. You have to find a way of making the Harley-Davidson work. Now, you're, you're a 20-year-old, so my guess is you haven't been riding that long, so you may be restricted to the kind of bikes that you get. My advice would be, do not sell the Harley. Don't buy the Triumph. You clearly love the Harleys. If you can find any way to adapt that iron, I would say adapt it. The only problem is I know with these irons that the, the tank range is atrocious. I'm sure someone told me once it's about 60 miles or so. So that is, of course, the first gigantic problem. You would have to carry around a jerry can of fuel with you. But you can put panniers on it. Look, if it's possible, Get a really comfy touring seat, 
get panniers on it, get a, uh, a backrest on it so you can wrap around, for example, a sleeping bag and bungee cord that to the backrest. I honestly would say you can make it work, Jonas, your Harley, even though it's only got that small range. Get, get a jerry can, wrap the jerry can around the rear rest, the rear backrest, and you can make it work. I really, really, truly believe it. Failing that, Jonas, Harley Davidson's hold their value very well. Could it be possible to, to sell your iron and is it too big a stretch? Look at getting maybe a street bob. I think you can probably get one if you're lucky for 8K or something. You can restrict it if needed. I think you can restrict the street bobs to a legal amount and, and just keep that Harley, you know, that Harley brand going for you because I can tell that's what you like. But my advice, stick to Harley. I move on. Freddie, I love the retro looks. Ah, okay, have a listen to this. For anyone who doesn't know, Maving is a British brand. It's a very cool looking British electric motorbike, really designed for the cities, but the key is it's got that removable battery and you can even get it in a one or two battery model. I think the two battery model may be 70 miles range and the one battery 35 miles range. So this is from Chris, Freddie. I love the retro looks of the Maving RM1, but, 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 I think it's terrible of companies charging well over the odds because of the cool factor. It's greedy. Listen, you can buy this um, or you can buy a DAX yourself and a Super Cub for Monica for double the coolness. Apologies for my terrible reading there. In essence, for the same price as one Maving electric bike, I can buy a Dax for myself and I can buy Monica a Cub, Honda Cub 125. It's true, Chris. You know, I like Maving. I hope to be able to test one this year. I like what the company stands for, cool electric bikes. We need these. Although I have said in the past, and I'll stick to it, I still am not sure nowadays if electric is the future. I really don't know. But if it is the future, I think they're doing a good job of bringing the retro vibes with a removable battery. I think they're on, on the right lines with that. But you're right, the prices have gone up a lot and it's pushing it away from being a genuine, a genuine mode of transport for the masses and into something where you do have to have slightly deeper pockets and you're willing to spend extra to get the styling. It puts it into a different market and that is a shame. It's a very good point you raised, Chris. Thank you for sharing that. I move on to... I didn't save the name. I'm so sorry, but this is an interesting one. Apologies for not saving the name. Have a listen. I currently have an Interceptor, a Royal Enfield Interceptor, and an old BMW GS 1200. I've been riding for 12 months. The GS is extremely competent and is the go-to option if I go for a tour. Overall, though, it doesn't stir my soul. The Interceptor is fun and the noise is amazing, but it is a little compromised when out riding for the day. The problem I have I can't stop looking at other bikes. I recently have a bit of extra cash in the bank and it's burning a hole in my pocket. I'm perfectly happy with both bikes, but I yearn to broaden my bike experience as relatively new to riding. Sometimes I think 
something a little more powerful would be nice, but equally, I love the Royal Enfield Classic 350. Is this an obsession that will never end, or will I eventually be happy with what I own? Part of me thinks I just want to experience other bikes as I, I look at all ends of the market. Would a do-it-all bike, for example, resolve this Goldie, uh, resolve this, or am I destined to spend my life looking at bike adverts and sneaking new bikes into the garage when the wife isn't looking? One option would be to sell both existing bikes, pull the money together, and get one valuable, or one more valuable option, say the Kawasaki Z900RS. Overall, I think that would be cheaper, or I think it would be cheaper, with only one bike to maintain and insure. That said, I'd really struggle to sell the Interceptor. Help. A very interesting predicament, this one. Very interesting. I, I know I've said it before quite a few times, but it took me for, what did I have? Honda CB500F, Suzuki RF600, Triumph Speed Triple, Suzuki Bandit, Bonneville, five. It took me five bikes to figure out the kind of bike that I like. And I've now had the Bonneville close to four years. And I know I sometimes talk about selling it, but in general, it's my dream bike. And that's why I've kept it so long now. So my thoughts for you, it's, it's a lovely, lovely duo of bikes you've got there. An old GS and an Interceptor, really, really good choice. But if you're looking around at other bikes, my guess is you will be looking to sell it because you're looking for a reason. And that's because either you, you do like change or you haven't quite found the bike that ticks all of the boxes. So I would say it's a, a fairly sensible move to sell both of them and get one bike that can probably cover both bases. And looking at the Kawasaki Z900 RS, I would feel fairly confident that that will be a bike that can cover all bases. Uh, so I would say that's an extremely good move. However, one thing I'd say, and Monica often picks me up on this, I, I have my dream bike with the Bonneville, yet I do still sometimes, just every so often, look at other bikes online. I do sometimes do that. But for me, the kind of bike I look at online is, is very specific, really. It's, it's Harley-Davidson. And that's because I still have in my mind the idea of getting a Harley-Davidson. I thought about Harley-Davidson's when I first passed my riding test about 12 years ago. That, that was the bike I really wanted. And I still do feel like I want a Harley-Davidson. And the reason I say this I know I will get a Harley one day, uh, and it's the only bike I look at. For example, I don't look at other modern classics now because I've got my dream modern classic bike. I've got it. I don't even yearn for a T120, even though it's a bike I would love to own, because I love my Bonneville so much. So I would say you just haven't quite found your ideal kind of bike yet. And looking at that Kawasaki you may well be onto the right lines, but the only way you're ever going to figure it out, the only way you're going to stop looking at different bikes, and I know this from first-hand experience, you gotta buy it. It's, a, it's an expensive hobby, but what a glorious hobby it is. Good luck, let me know what you go for. I continue. Hi, Freddie. 
I am I'm so sorry. I've been awful at saving names this week. Apologies. Hi, Freddie. I completely agree with your point, uh, with your point of view on Harley Davidson riders' safety gear. For me, it, I find it refreshing when people don't stress about safety gear. I love your own outlook on safety. I'm a big believer in what will be, will be in life. Thank you. I move on. Freddie, listening to your podcast uh, from last week, I'd like to touch on two things. First, my dream bike is a crocker. I'll be honest, I have, what, what's a crocker motorbike? Let me just Google this. Crocker, this I believe, I haven't checked the bottom, this must be an American rider. Crocker motorcycle. Oh, wow. Crocker Motorcycles. The Crocker Motorcycle Company is an American manufacturer based in Los Angeles, California of single-cylinder speedway racing motorcycles from 1932, powered V-twin road motorcycles from 36, and, and motor scooters. They look a little bit like a Harley mixed with a, an Indian. Swept back bars, Beautiful classic styling. Okay, that, that does look incredible. I've never come across that before. I continue. Dream bike's a crocker. If I had the money to get one, <laughs> I would burn the back tire off riding it. I wouldn't worry that I'm putting miles on it and the value could be decreasing. I would enjoy it to the fullest and let my kids worry about its value when I'm dead. I love that attitude. Secondly, I live in Kentucky. Here we go. I live in Kentucky, USA. We are a free state like Florida. That means you have the right to choose if you want to wear a helmet and I choose not to. And I haven't in the 30 plus years I've lived here. That's and I'm just interjecting. 30 years not riding a helmet, it's, it's fascinating. Really, it's very interesting hearing the other point of view. I, I like hearing both points of view. There will be people who are incredibly strong on wearing all of the gear, but equally, and this, this is a, a point that can get overlooked, equally, there are many, many people extremely happy to wear no biking gear at all, and that's the way they want to live, and it's, Great to hear, really great to hear from all points. And I carry on here from Stephen, Kentucky. And I haven't worn a helmet in 30 years since living here. You see, Freddie, Americans don't like being told what to do by the government or anyone else. We like to choose our own fate. For right or wrong, that's how we are. Most Harley riders feel like this. Many wear helmets because they have to in their specific state. And if given the choice, some still don't do it. It's your life and you should be able to make the decisions yourself. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, and to the cop uh, that talked about the bike restriction laws, as we say in Kentucky, it's only a crime if you get caught. Ah, <laughs> oh, Steve, that's fantastic. Really, really interesting hearing from an American rider in Kentucky. Thank you so much for sharing that. Really appreciate it. I move on. Dear Freddie, I listened to your podcast, your latest podcast episode, uh, En Route to Work this morning. 50 minutes to do seven miles. Go figure. I was driving, not riding. And I really enjoyed most of the content. However, ah, this is interesting. This is from a policeman in the UK who, who had a, a very slight issue with, with my thoughts in last week's episode about 
It, it was about how can you make riding more appealing, I believe, in London, if, if my memory serves me correctly. And I said, um, you, you have to allow bikers, motorcyclists, to ride in cycle lanes, you have to create more bike parking for free, and you have to create, you have to create an environment where we're not all petrified of our bikes being stolen. And however that's done, whether it's with more police on the beat or societal changes, something has to change because something is not right in the UK where people think that they can just go out robbing motorbikes. Uh, something is, is quite badly rotten in the UK. That was, in essence, my thoughts. And now this is from a policeman writing in. So have a listen to this. Um, however, I can't, um, and I enjoyed most of the content. However, I can't help but think that your observations around policing in the UK are a little flawed. This isn't your fault. The vast majority of the UK have the same perception and requirement. There isn't enough police and we want more. It's an observation that every police officer, regardless of rank, shares with you. Without resorting to expletives, the job is on its knees and has been for a very long time. I'm a police officer of 20 years. I've done pretty much most things in the job, seen, smelt and touched things that most human beings shouldn't. It can be, very, it can be a very demanding role, very stressful at times and very unrewarding. The vast majority of the public appear to have a negative view of the service that it, uh, that's provided. Let's be clear, if you're getting a service, you are extremely lucky. Conser conservative governments have completely eroded grassroots policing in this country, with 120,000 police officers across the UK, the thin blue line is very thin indeed. Promises to increase numbers by 50,000 are failing. We lose more than we can retain. We had 150,000 in post in 2010. So why the lecture? I'm sorry, but your comments about community policing are misleading and disinformation. I own two bikes. I own two bikes. Both are very important to me and I would be devastated if either got stolen or damaged. Whilst the risk of this occurring are much higher in cities, the fact remains that unless it involves serious crime, that's weapons or violence, then it is unlikely to ever get the attention vehicle crime deserves. You see, the culling of the police services has led to your Bobby on the beat being sucked into dealing with much more violent crime, domestic incidents, missing persons, violent gangs, modern-day slavery, drugs, violence against women and girls, mental health incidents, and the list goes on. In short, there is a queue, and vehicle theft is at the end of a very long one. It doesn't sit well on my shoulders, nor that of my colleagues, but we are here, uh, but we are where we are. And the reason I write this is because I got the impression there is an expectation that policing can solve everything. When in fact, it's a societal issue that the government need to get a grip on. Without demonizing those who uphold the law, 
We don't help ourselves sometimes, and I shake my head in despair. But as a fellow biker, uh, and a keen follower of your channels, I just felt it prudent to mention it. Kevin, it's, it's a brilliant insight. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing this. Um, the, the element that you mention with regards to a societal change that's needed, Kevin, it's, it's one I, I do completely agree with. And, and also, apologies if I did, maybe sound, I don't know if I sounded slightly negative to policing, because actually that, it wasn't completely my point. But it's a point of yours, very well taken from me. So thank you, Kevin. It's really interesting. Now you mention it, Kevin, being in Dubai, it's a city with a huge amount of incredibly expensive cars. Um, not loads of bikes, I'll be honest, but a load of cars and, and expensive bikes for the bikes that there are. Lots of Harley Davidsons and things like that. Crime seems to be, and I'm, I'm happy to be told otherwise, but crime seems to be almost non-existent here. The streets are, I, and I know it's a country with lots of money, but, you know, the streets are beautifully clean. There's no graffiti. Crime seems to not exist. And for the amount of luxury vehicles there are here, you'd never dream of seeing one getting vandalised or something like that for, for no apparent reason. You wouldn't dream of it. I know in the news I saw, this is in the news in the UK, there was, I think it was a McLaren sports car, and there was just a, just a yob in the UK jumping on this sports car for no reason, just jumping on it, and they're looking to try and find the person. And I'll, I'll get to my point in a second. Uh, and then recently I did a YouTube video, and I said, God, you know what? I'm not sure if I should be locking my helmets to the little helmet lock that attaches to the D-ring on my helmet, the strap, because I've had so many people in England commenting and saying, Freddie, there's no point using these because the youths going around, they just snip, they snip off your, uh, your cotton bit, whatever it is, your cotton bit of the helmet, they just snip it off. Uh, so I said in a YouTube video, look, I'm, I may just start using a D-lock to lock through the chin strap of my helmet instead and not just lock through the, the canvas strap. But then a lot of people saying, Freddie, this doesn't make any sense because if someone snips off your strap, then the helmet's useless. Yes, but that may be the case. But we're in England here and people do stuff that a lot of other countries maybe wouldn't imagine. Yes, you're right. Someone can just snip off your helmet, take your helmet, but then the helmet's rendered useless. Yes, but there are a lot of people like this in England who will do that a lot. There are a lot of people in, in England, I don't know if it's just England, maybe Scotland's better, maybe other countries are better, or maybe I'm being too harsh on England, but people will happily steal in England your strap, they'll cut the strap off your helmet and steal your helmet. It may make the helmet worthless, but they don't care for the exact same reason that when I lived in London, my tire on my motorbike was slashed. Not because someone wants to steal my motorbike, but just because someone felt like slashing the tire of my boat motorbike. Similarly, if your, your car gets keyed in in England, it's not because they want to steal the car, they just want to key your car because they don't like the fact you have a nice vehicle. The reason I bring these points up, it's right, it's a societal issue. Is there something going wrong in, in England, in the UK, in, in a wider sense, where 
something has to change to change people's mentality. It can't just be a policing thing. It's, well, I wouldn't begin to understand how to, to change it, but it's just interesting seeing in Dubai, you know, the, the way people are is very different. And I'm not pretending that this is some utopia that's perfect, but I cannot imagine anyone ever being so jealous at looking at someone's vehicle that they'd vandalize it here. But how do you, how do you change an entire society? Kevin, thank you. Thank you. I move on to Stephen. Freddie, I was a little, <laughs> I was a little amused at you trying, uh, at you tying yourself in knots on a recent podcast. You were agonizing over your personal views about wearing riding gear and helmets or not. Don't be ashamed about enjoying the freedom and feeling of no gear. If you do, then we all lose a little ground to those in society who want to force others to comply with their own views. As I've grown older, instead of becoming more conservative and more judgmental, as many do when they age, I've actually become more libertarian in my outlook. If you want to do something or take risks and it has no impact on others, then just go for it and enjoy your life. We all have wildly different attitudes to risk and we need to learn to live and let live. Stephen. Thank you for sharing that, Stephen. I, I, completely, I completely share your views. I know it's always a polarising subject. I personally, and I know, I know there'll be people who hugely disagree, but I do not have a problem with riding around town and, and wearing normal gear just normal clothes riding around town. Similarly, and I know I said a lot, I'm going to be in Bali soon, there is zero biking gear and I will not spare a second thought in worrying about going around the islands in Indonesia, for example, with zero biking gear, absolutely nothing. And thank you, Stephen, for sharing that because I know I've said it before, but it's great to hear um, everyone's thought from the entire spectrum. So thank you for that. I move on. This is again from Nick, Nick from Moto UK. And I found this fascinating. I had to share this today because Nick Motor UK, he's got a Triumph T120, bought it brand new, stunning bike, it's dream level bike. And he's, he's just getting it uh, serviced, ha having the first service. And this was eye opening. He said, Freddie, uh, it's a great bike, as you know, uh, but I've just called the dealer for the first service and it's 250 pounds. Basically an oil filter and oil, Look, okay, max, 50 pounds, but they're charging 200 pounds for what they say is two hours labor. I normally do all my own servicing, but for the first service, it has to be done, so the warranty holds, regards Nick. It, you know, biking, it's borderline car levels, surely. Is that not more expensive than getting, than getting a car serviced? It is, I know it is. I know it is because when I get the Fiat serviced, I'm sure it's only about 140 pounds. This is 250 pounds from Triumph for the first service. And someone tell me if I'm wrong, surely this first basic service is the most basic service you could ever dream of getting. As Nick said, basically just an oil and filter. Yes, you may have to check a few bolts aren't loose, but 250 pounds. Anyone who's got any other stories like that, just share it because it's, it's a huge amount of money. Thank you as always, Nick. Moving on. Ooh, oh, this is, this is actually from, this is from an American who shared this comment on YouTube and I, I actually 
just screenshotted it, a screenshot it, and I want to share it because it just gives the most beautiful image of riding in the US. My 1977 Triumph, a 750cc T120V red and white tank. Had back in the day, sure wish I had kept her. She took care of me many times, getting me back home, even when a piston, a piston rip uh, clip broke in Las Vegas and I had 500 miles to get back to the coast of California. Just kept pouring oil in her, rebuilt the top end when I got home, then off for another adventure to Moab, Utah. I think it was 1980. Old motel rooms were 10 bucks a night along the way or camping out for free. Food and gas cheap. What a wonderful time in my life. Those jackets, uh, uh, like those jackets. Thanks, you two like those jackets just referring to the youtube video what a fantastic insight glorious u.s road trips from about 42 years ago and the memories that last a lifetime with that you know being in vegas riding back on your triumph and then off to to moab utah sleeping in motel rooms or just camping out ten dollars a night fantastic moving on Hi, Freddie. Can I get your thoughts on smaller or classic plates? I got stopped in central London and fined a hundred quid for a seven times five. That's the size, seven times five. It's a small one. Yellow and black plates on my 2022 Royal Enfield Interceptor a few months back. Illegal, I know but not unusually shaped or super small. I was maybe being, uh, or I was maybe giving it a little bit too much beans at the lights and the police seemed to be looking for a reason to slap my wrists. Otherwise, I might not have been pulled over. They said they were cracking down on illegal plates, not being picked up by ANPR. They're the automatic number plate recognition cameras. So that was the reasoning the police gave. I continue. I just can't be doing with the enormous nine times seven plates. They look so out of place on the bike, but I don't want to be constantly getting fines and points to be ramping up. Do you reckon black and white classic plates fly under the radar a bit more in modern classics rather than small yellow plates? I know still illegal, or do you think neither are worth the hassle. Any experience with shops, fines, longer trips, motorways, riding outside of London with respect to other plates? How to deal with the police when stopped? The guys that stopped me were very reasonable, very courteous, and I admitted uh, I knew the plate was illegal, but uh, was on there because it looked better. They agreed and complimented the bike, but said the plate had to be reported. Perhaps better to play dumb or pretend I'm on my way to a show. They said if stopped again, fines could go up to a thousand pounds. I've since switched back to legal plates, but they look terrible. We must acknowledge that we ride these bikes in part because of the aesthetic appeal. We, of course, should and must stay within the law, but should those boundaries sometimes be pushed in the search of beauty? Best wishes, Colin. Colin, a very good point you make. 
I've had a, a couple of uh, insights just from a few other riders I'll share in a second. But just going back, you've got a seven times five plate. That is sometimes five. I'm sure that's exactly the same size plate as mine. Just for reference, I've got one of these and I'm doing those weird speech marks, illegal plates, because they are technically illegal. But yours are, do I remember correctly? You said yours are black. Uh, I've got classic plates, stopped and said, yes, yellow slash black, uh, black ones. Oh no, but yellow, yellow slash black plate, that would mean it's got the yellow black uh, background and the black lettering. So I will assume you've got the same as me, yellow background, black lettering. Now I've got a seven times five plate on, it's one of those classic plates, aluminium, so it's smaller than the legal requirement in the UK. Mine's black writing with yellow background on it. And it's on, of course, my Triumph Bonneville. I'm just checking here your other question. Do you reckon black and white classic plates fly under the radar a bit more on modern classics rather than just, rather than small yellow plates? No, I don't, Colin, actually. I think you've just been really, really unlucky here because I've got the same plate on that you've got. I've got the seven times five yellow plate with black lettering and I, sounds like I'm proud, I'm not proud at all. I just, you know, I got, I don't know if I got lucky or what, but I got pulled over in London doing 30 miles an hour in a 20 zone and I got fined for speeding and I had to go on rider awareness training about a year and a half ago. And I had my legal plate on then and they were completely fine with it. Nothing raised at all, nothing raised. I have also ridden now for four years with my Bonneville with that small plate, never with an issue. I've also ridden on my, what did I have? You know, I had it on my Triumph Speed Triple. I had it on my Suzuki Bandit. That means I must have been riding for nine years with small plates and I've never once in nine years ever been pulled over. I also ride with those small plates all around Europe and I've never had any issues anywhere in Europe with those small plates. I just think you've been incredibly unlucky, really very, very unlucky. The amount of times I've been riding, police have been behind me. I don't think, I think as long as it's not a ludicrously small one, I think the police will usually just let it go. However, if, if Colin, I were in your position and I've been fined once. I agree, that does change things because if the police are now saying it could be a thousand pound fine next time, yes, that changes it. I may be inclined to just put the dreadful looking big plates on for that exact reason. It's a really tough one. I will keep my small ones on for the exact reason you said. They look infinitely better. And aluminium just feels nicer than that cheap plastic that they use. Uh, oh, I've got... I've got a few comments. Let me see. I think a couple of people got in touch for this. Someone said, no, I've always been fine with my, uh, my small plate, but I did have a £10 fine for excessive noise. Someone else said, nope, not yet. Uh, I've been fine with my small plate. Someone else said, no, but I have made smaller. Uh, that's 174 mil times 164 mil legal plates made up. Ah, that must be where this person has actually cut around the edge of the, the original number plate just to, to size it down a bit. Okay, that's interesting. And someone else said, I, I've had an, quoting, illegal 
plate on both my Scrambler 1200 and Street Twin never had an issue. Colin, I just think you're unlucky. I really do. I've got one other. I did actually say, uh, asked some people, I asked on Instagram, uh, in addition, have you ever, ever been pulled over or fined for any other modifications on your motorbikes? Um, and if so, is it worth the risk slash fine? Someone said, nope, always been fine. Another one said, keep your bike legal, inform your insurance of your mods, avoid the risk. Uh, brackets, I would say that though. Uh, someone else, nope, more luck than anything. Another person said, I've not been stopped for mods, but I have had a friend stopped for mounted cameras. This is interesting. I've heard of someone who got stopped as well for having, for example, a GoPro mounted to to that was it to their bike or something and I know in Spain it's illegal to have a GoPro mounted to your helmet because it's it's seen as a safety risk it could compromise the safety of your helmet so that that is a thing I've just learned uh, someone else said they look nice but a larger road legal plate is far easier to see from behind so a bit safer yeah fair point actually from a safety point of view another said it's funny because it happens all the time in Austria where I live uh, and the bike is very illegal here. Oh, it sounds like they clamped down on it more in Austria. Um, someone else said, I've been pulled over randomly on my custom, custom Bonneville, but no, uh, but no cop ever noticed anything. Interesting. Yeah, Colin, it changes things though. If you've got caught once, fined once, so you're on the system, and you know that you could have a thousand pound fine next time, I admit, yep, yeah, that may change things for me as well. I continue. Freddie, I do hear the, the comments of a lot of listeners who are moving away. Ah, this is Shannon, is it? Yep, yeah, this is Shannon from Australia. Okay. Freddie, I hear the comments uh, of lots of listeners who are moving away from larger bikes in favor of the smaller modern classics. While this is a good idea for most, if you are of a large stature like myself, six foot five, I'm not sure these modern classics would suit. As you know, I have two bikes. My touring bike, the Victory Crossroads, it's a V-twin bagger, and my commuter, which is a Victory Octane, that's a V-twin American muscle bike. To make the commute comfortable, it's 25 kilometers each way, but through the city of Melbourne, I had to add an extended reach seat. It gives you two inches more legroom and extended controls. That gives another two inches of room. And also push the bars up. Even then, the bike is not ideal for me to ride any more than two to three hours as my weight, 123 kilos, tests the suspension. I have seen lots of the modern classics here in Melbourne. They look great but they just aren't for everyone, and I'm not sure that for the larger gentleman. Another point I'd like to discuss. Oh, I'll get, okay, let me get to Shannon's second point after I've covered the first one. Again, Shannon, just as with, with a few of the points mentioned earlier from a safety point of view, it's really good to, to mention the, the pros of these bigger bikes. And yeah, you, you are, you're definitely a bigger rider at 6'5 and 123 kilos. And you're right, you would be way too big for an Interceptor BSA, you know, really even the Bonnevilles as well at that size. And I think often I can be, I don't know what the right word is for it, but 
I, I can probably contradict myself a lot because I will talk about the positives of small bikes and I completely believe it. But at the same time, I would probably go out and buy a Harley as well. My next bike may be a Harley to put alongside the Bonneville. So, Shannon, I'm with you on the big bikes. There's something very, very special. Yes, the practicality side, it will suit your size way better. That's, that's a given, 100% of course. But from just a pure enjoyment point of view as well, Shannon, those big-engined American bikes, and no one does it better than the Americans, something really, really magical about riding one of those gigantic American bikes. Physical size, yes, but that low-down, lazy power of those V-twin engines. Do you know what I'm even daydreaming about it now, Shannon? Bang on, bang on. Good, and I'm glad we've got a champion here of someone championing the, the big capacity engines. I've got it in my mind, and probably no one will believe me because I change my mind all the time, and I do talk quite a lot of nonsense about vehicles I want to buy. Most recently, it's been the Defender, and now I want a Harley. So I, I will not be sensitive if anyone doesn't want to believe me, but I, I, I do quite want to get a Harley Davidson for the summer. I really do. So Shannon, thank you for that. Okay, Shannon's second point here. Another point I would like to discuss is that you often speak to the failure of electronics in modern vehicles. And I couldn't agree more. This is probably the biggest point of failure in all modern vehicles. I'm often asked about the victories and if I'm worried about maintaining them moving forward. Now that Polaris offer limited if any support for parts. So just so people know, Polaris, they are the parent company that own Victory and I believe, I'm, I'm certain, they also own Indians still, so they cover all of the parts. But now that Victory hasn't been sold for a few years, uh, they're going to be winding down the amount of parts and Victories are not a common sight, probably on any roads. So I continue. I've begun to stockpile some parts for my victory, but moving forward, I'll have no problem using aftermarket parts to keep these bikes on the road. My victory, or my Octane, sorry, already uses an aftermarket fuel controller, and from an, ele and from an electronics perspective, I have no qualms at all about replacing any part, gauge, or loom with something else, either fit for purpose or that can be adapted to make it fit. The same goes for mechanical parts or anything else for that matter. So I think in the future, people will need to take a similar approach with these less tech-laden bikes and cars if they really want to keep them on the road. Yes, Shannon, it's so true, isn't it? Anything electrical, it will eventually break unless it's Japanese and they will go on forever. But electrical things, they will all break, all of them. It's just a fact. And having those really mechanical bikes, the more old school bikes, the less electronics, the better in that respect, because you're right, take it to a mechanic or if you're mechanically inclined yourself, a bit of common sense can often fix a problem just by you figuring it out yourself, so long as there's not too much electronical wizardry. And it's great to keep these bikes, especially these Victories and things like that. These Victories are amazing bikes. So to be able to keep those on the road, you know, these Victories are going to be bikes that we speak about in the decades to come. 
a bike that really wasn't around for a huge amount of time, but it's got a very, very interesting story behind it. They're really unique things. Shannon, thank you. I move on. Freddie, just listened to your latest podcast and to your comment about having a monkey or a Dax as a second bike. I've got a trio of Hondas, a Fireblade, a CBX, uh, sorry, a CB500X and a monkey bike, which is the same engine as the Dax, but a clutch and proper five-speed box. And I also have a Harley-Davidson 48. The bike that gives me the biggest grin though is the monkey. It's a fantastic bike, so much fun, ride safe. Chris, Chris, brilliant, brilliant to hear from you. Small capacity, fantastic, thank you. Moving on to Rob. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, this is from Rob, he sent an article through Apple News. Freddie, uh, resolve, resolving any doubts on Harley Davidson's holding their value. Harley Davidson recently sold for 800,000 pounds making it the most expensive motorbike ever and extremely rare. And extremely rare, Harley-Davidson has sold for 800 grand. It is very rare to get motorbikes selling for anywhere near the same amount of uh, value as an equivalently in-demand car. But 800,000 for a motorbike is completely out of this world. And again, Harley-Davidson's nothing. Nothing holds their value. No bike brand holds the value like Harley-Davidson's. And the interesting thing for me is with that, Harley-Davidson's hold the value, well, in the US, and that may sound like I'm stating the obvious, but they're so common there. They even hold the value well there. I often look, I know I've mentioned it before, but I often look for great deal Harley-Davidson's in the US with an eye to maybe bringing one over to the UK, but they're not significantly better value in the US than they are in the UK. They hold their value that well. It's really eye-opening. And I've got one more from, from Rob here. Regarding Harley-Davidson, can Harley-Davidson, this is again Apple News, can Harley-Davidson roar into the fashion world? The Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, held annually in Sturgis, South Dakota, is the biggest gathering of bikers in the world. Every summer, and sit down for this, some half a million gearheads roar towards the Black Hills for a week of communal cruising. Can you imagine that anywhere else on earth other than the US that happening? 500,000 motorbikers meeting up. I can't even get my head around that. That's absolute insanity. It's incredible. No one does that kind of stuff like the US. That is out of this world phenomenal. Uh, I continue a bit. Uh, I'm just skipping a little bit here, but I found it interesting. This is about Harley Davidson's merchandise and how strong a brand it is. Harley merch isn't just ubiquitous among diehard bikers. T-shirts emblazoned with the Harley Shield logo are in the merch pantheon alongside Playboy Bunny, Tracker Hats, Rolling Stones, Tongue logo and everything. The 2022 Harley Davidson, in 2022, Harley Davidson sold $270 million in clothing and gear sales alone, which means Harley's apparel business is already bigger than many fashion brands. The strength of the Harley brand, almost unmatched, surely. Unmatched, not almost unmatched. It must be completely unmatched. How many other brands are there? 
where people who have no interest in biking would actually buy, for example, a Harley Davidson T-shirt because of the draw it has, the connection it has. Could I say a Triumph T-shirt? Nowhere near the same scale as Harley. Am I being biased saying Triumph? I, I think Triumph T-shirts could be cool for everyone, but I admit, nothing like the Harley Davidson at all. And I move on to the final one here, doing quite a bit of Harley stuff at the end, and I'm glad about that. Last one's from Gurgly in Hungary. Uh, Freddie, I made a strange final decision. I had the chance to sit on a Royal Enfield Himalayan, which is quite impressive at first look, even in material quality. But I found the 24 horsepower a little bit weak for two people. Suddenly, a used 100th anniversary edition Electroglide Ultra, Harley-Davidson 100th anniversary Electroglide Ultra, came up at the local Harley-Davidson dealership here in Hungary, and I wasn't strong enough to resist the feeling of the rumbling engine. I think Gurgly also, he's going to be doing a tour, Hungary down to Croatia or something like that, with a group of Harleys. What is it about Harleys? I don't know. I don't think I'll ever be able to get it out of my head. It's, it's just like I was chatting to a listener earlier. Sometimes you just can't get a bike out of your head or you can't stop looking at bikes. And the only way you can stop that is by actually going out and buying it. You cannot get rid of that itch. You can't. I remember when I got the Triumph, I was just so happy. I thought, this is me. Yes, it, it combines cool vibes and biking with the Bonneville. I'm still delighted with four years on. But I also want that Harley. I really desperately want that as well. So, Gurgly, congrats on the new bike. I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode in, in Dubai. I'll speak to you all in the next one. Have a great week. Bye.